Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Target Field in Minnesota, it's the Cleveland Guardians 3, the Minnesota Twins 2 in extra innings. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And does it feel good to be back in the win column, Guardians fans? Does it feel good to have your ace Shane Bieber back on the mound doing what he does? Uh, yeah, it felt pretty good to me. It was an enjoyable game. It was it was a slow game. It took a while to get there. It's 1-1 going into extra innings, so not a ton of action in this one. But as we'll talk about, one of the big storylines of this game is escaping jams. So there were runners on base. There were definitely plenty of things to keep you engaged and entertained in this game. But we're going to do what we do so often. We're going to start this episode with dessert because the big storyline in this game is the 10th inning, is extra innings. We go into it 1-1. Sandlin does a good job of getting out of the ninth inning even after giving up a single to Luisa Rise. He gets a fly off from Polanco and then gets Sanchez to ground out to get out of the ninth, which sets the Guardians up for the 10th inning. And I really feel like this runner on second base thing, it really gives an advantage, I think, to the away team. I really think it does because, I mean, obviously it sets you up very easily to score and then it allows you to bring your closer in, right? It's not something the home team can do. The home team can't blow. The, they do. They have to blow through their closer, not knowing whether it's going to be a safe situation or not. Uh, so that is always an advantage that the away team will have with this rule. And I mean, it's always an advantage the away team has in extra innings anyways. And this rule did exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to end these things in the 10th. It's not supposed to let these things turn into marathon games that go to two in the morning, that go to the 16th, 17th inning that burn through bullpens and burn up guys' arms. It's designed to end this thing in the 10th. Now, the key to it, if you just bring across that runner from second, it's very easy for the other team to tie it up. It's getting that extra run. Can you keep the rally going and get that extra run? That's the key to this whole thing. Well, we get lucky enough that Andres Jimenez is leading things off for us in that 10th inning. It feels like Fermil Reyes is always the last out in the ninth, which means a pinch runner is going to come in, and Ernie Clement has done this a couple times, I feel like, on the season, where he's the pinch runner at second base. Uh, Andres Jimenez is up, and let me tell you something. If there is any player on the Guardians that you want up in extra innings, or the ninth inning for that matter, it is Andres Jimenez right now. This guy is insane. In the ninth inning, he's hitting... 546 with a 2.091 OPS. He has had three of his five home runs come in the ninth inning. Seven RBIs in the ninth inning. Um, Absolutely dominant in the ninth inning. Now, you add on extra innings, he's now two for two in extra innings with, uh, I'm sorry, he only has four home runs. Three of his four home runs have come in the ninth inning. He is now two for two in extra innings with two RBI doubles. So he's batting a thousand in extra innings with a 3,000 OPS. So if you want somebody up in the ninth inning or extra innings, it is Andres Jimenez. With runners in scoring position, by the way, on the season, he's hitting 464 
with a 1.538 OPS. 464 with a 1.538. You take that to runners in scoring position with two outs. Now we're even in, in a more high leverage situation. He's hitting 539 with a 1.956 OPS. Those numbers jump even higher when it's runners in scoring position and two outs. That is, this guy is proving to be an incredibly clutch hitter for us. So he comes up in that 10th inning. He absolutely destroys a double off the right field wall, high off the right field wall in Minnesota. If this is in Cleveland, that's a two-run home run. Easy. 100 mile per hour exit velocity, 361 feet off the wall. But like I said, high up off the wall in Cleveland, that easily clears the right field wall. So it brings Clement in to score. He crashes into the first baseman for Minnesota. Uh, who was playing first? Yes, Miranda. And uh, it's 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 a clear uh, situation of interference on the base paths. Like, I, I don't even know what the Twins manager was arguing because... You can't, you can't be right in the base path, right where someone would make that turn and head to second base. I mean, he literally backs right into that spot. Clear interference with the base runner. He clearly should get second base, which he does. So he's on with a leadoff double. Now, the key to this whole thing is you got to get that last run across. You have, you got to get one more on the board because they're going to start with a runner on second two, and chances are that runner is going to come in. And we're just keep going back and forth on this thing. You got to get that other run, and we're set up in the perfect position for it because the leadoff double, you swap places, you're still a runner on second, nobody out to kick off the inning. So Mercado would strike out, unfortunately. Austin Hedges would pop out. You feel like you're going to strand the guy there. And then Miles Straw comes up in an 0 for 21 slump. And he is able to shoot one through into right center field. And it brings in Andres Jimenez to score that go ahead. That, that extra run, that third run of the game. He does get stuck between the bases and tagged out for the final out. But he brought that run across. And it's something that in this slump, I saw him do it earlier in the game. Earlier in the game, he flew out to right center field. But he's clearly trying to go opposite field to get out of that slump. And it finally works in the 10th inning. So the Guardians do the job. They get that extra run, which would prove to be huge. We bring in our closer, Classe. We get a ground out for Kepler, which moves the runner up to third base. Gio Urshela would ground, uh, hit a grounder deep, deep in the hole between short and third. Frankly, Ahmed Rosario makes a fine play just getting to this thing and getting a throw off. But Urshela beats it, so it's an RBI single. Now they have that tying run at first base, not second base like we had. Miranda would ground out because Classe is so good at getting ground balls. And then he would absolutely blow one past Nick Gordon to strike him out, a 99.4 mile per hour cutter to strike him out to end the game. And he was, Classe gets so fired up for these saves. It is awesome to see that energy out there in the ninth inning. So yeah, a huge job by the Guardians of getting things done in extra innings. It was a little bit interesting. I found it interesting that in the ninth inning, the Twins go with Duran. And Duran is an absolute monster flamethrower. Uh, Duran throws some serious heat. His fastball averaged, averaged yesterday 102.2. It maxed out at 103.3. Now, he didn't get many strikes with it, uh, but we couldn't hit it. I mean, we could barely put it in play. 
right? The average velocity, exit velocity off it, we put two of them in play with 76.9. So he's not striking guys out with it, but you can't square it up at 103.3 miles per hour. Not to mention a splitter coming in at 98.8. I'm a 99 mile per hour splitter. Splitter with movement. So yeah, so uh, the average drop on his forcing fastball is 13 inches. The average drop on his splitter is 22 inches. His yearly average is 26 inches on a 98, 99 mile per hour splitter. So absolutely insane stuff from Duran. But then they bring Cotton in for that uh, f- for that. 10th inning, and he's throwing change-ups. He's throwing 79-mile-per-hour change-ups. So, I, I mean, I know sometimes the theory is you go extreme velocity and then balance it out with extreme off-speed stuff, but that clearly did not work. The Guardians hitters were saying, thank you. Thank you for these meatball change-ups here uh, in the 10th inning. You can keep your hard stuff in the ninth inning. We don't want to see it again. Give us more of these change-ups in the 10th inning because we're going to hammer them. We're absolutely going to hammer them. So it's a good job by the Guardians. It's an interesting... I mean, the Twins have to blow through a lot of relief pitchers in this game. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys pitch in this game for them after Smeltzer got through five innings. So yeah, they really, really work the bullpen in this one. All right, so that was the 10th inning. Like I said, we started with dessert. We started with the big finale. And before we're done with Andres Jimenez, I saw somebody tweet this out. I saw somebody tweet out Francisco Lindor's season versus Andres Jimenez's season. And it's always fun. These guys will always be linked because of the trade. Anytime you're in a trade like this, especially when you're trading the current for the future, right, at the same position. This isn't like, um, you know... uh, Clevenger being traded for Josh Naylor. Like, we're not going to compare Josh Naylor to Clevenger. They are completely different players playing completely different positions on completely different trajectories. But Lindor and Jimenez, it's very easy to compare what was versus and what the present is versus what the future is with Andres Jimenez. And Jimenez is kicking Lindor's butt this season. Absolutely kicking his butt this season. Lindor has played in more games, has more played appearances. Uh, 154 plate appearances to 93 plate appearances. But Lindor hitting 231. Jimenez hitting 326. Lindor on base percentage 312. Jimenez 344. He doesn't walk a ton. Lindor does walk a little bit more, which boasts that uh, on base percentage. Slugging percentage. Lindor only a 388. He's got five home runs. Uh, Jimenez is slugging 562. He's got four home runs himself. He's got a total of 11 extra base. Oh, they both have a total of 11 extra base hits. But Jimenez mixes in some triples there. Lindor's are six doubles and uh, five home runs. So it's a 700 OPS for Lindor. It's a 562 for Andres Jimenez. I mean, Jimenez is one of the better hitters in baseball right now. It's a 104 OPS plus compared to the rest of the league for Lindor, where league average is set to 100. 104 for Lindor, OPS plus of 167 for Andres Jimenez. Yeah, when you look at war, uh, 1.7 war for Andres Jimenez, a 0.7 war for Lindor. Even defensively, right, where you know how good Lindor's been, Jimenez has been better. It's actually a negative 0.1 defensive war for Lindor. It's a 0.7 
positive defensive war for Andres Jimenez. He's been the better defender. Every Almost everything you look at here uh, when comparing these two players, win probability added for the offensive player, it's a zero. It's actually a 0.0 for Lindor. He hasn't helped or hurt. For Jimenez, it's a 0.4. He's been more impactful. Everything you look at here uh, is in Andres Jimenez's flavor so f- favor so far on the season. However, the Mets are in first place. They've got a five-and-a-half game lead uh, in the NL East. So I don't think Mets fans are complaining too much about this, but it is interesting that Jimenez is having that much better of a season than Lindor right now. Now, Lindor could obviously heat up. We are still very early in the season. All this could balance out by the time we get to September, by the time we get to October, but that's how that's how they're starting. Hey, let's have some fun with it. Let's take a look at it. All right, so moving back into the game last night, the other big storyline of this game was escaping jams, was escaping some really, really tough jams here. Uh, in the top of the third inning, the Guardians would get something going, and unfortunately, the Minnesota Twins would be able to eat their way out of it. So Austin Hedges would lead things off of the walk, which usually leads to trouble. Straw would hit into a uh, force out, so uh, Hedges is out at second. I believe this is the one where Hedges' slide doesn't quite make it even to second base. Straw is safe at first. They were talking about on the TV broadcast how they like the way they do the infields there. They put extra dirt, and the guys hate it. And uh, or maybe it's just the fact that Austin Hedges is kind of a truck out there, but his slide ends up coming short of second base. Um, I also think he was kind of sliding to break up the double play. He wasn't even really sliding to try to be safe. So it was more expecting that the person, Polanco, making the turn to be stepping towards first base. And he was just trying to be in his way. Uh, So Quan would then single. He would shoot one through the right side. Uh, Nice to see Quan get some nice exit velocity. What was the exit velocity on this shot in the third inning? It would be 98.3 mile per hour exit velocity. So. That's nice to see. And it would bring up Jose Ramirez, who would shoot one down the third baseline. Normally a good spot to hit one. But Giovanni Urshela is fantastic with the glove. We all know that. He ranges to his right, snags it backhand down the line, turns and throws an absolute bullet to Polanco at second, who's able to double up Ramirez at first base. So a fantastic defensive play gets them out of the third inning. So again, it's a Big jam that the Minnesota Twins are in, and they're able to escape. Now, remember, the Guardians are up 1-0 at this point. We do score early um, in that second inning. Uh, Owen Miller leads things off with a double. Didn't I tell you Owen Miller was better in the second inning than he is in the first? Um, He leads things off with a double, and then eventually Fermil Reyes is able to shoot a ground ball through the infield who's pulled in and uh, able to bring Owen Miller into score. So that was one nothing. So we had a chance to go up more, and they're able to get out of that jam. Now, bottom of the third, it's our turn to get into a jam, and it's our turn for Shane Bieber to work his way out of a jam. Now, he starts things, starts this inning out by striking out Celestino. Then he gets Lewis to fly out, uh, pop out the second baseman, Andres Jimenez. Then Arise with single. Now, this was on an 0-2 count. Arise gets a single on an 0-2 count. And this would actually be a little bit of a pattern here. Let's see where these pitches were uh, from Shane Bieber to arise. So uh, he works some. Uh, he works ahead in the count. A four seam fastball for a called strike on the outside edge. 
throws him a cutter on the outside edge for another called strike. Frankly, Guardians pitchers, effectively all pitchers, were getting a pretty wide strike zone in this one. Throws him a knuckle curve outside there again. Probably would have been called strike three, but he's able to foul it off. And then on an 0-2 count, he decides to come in with a changeup in at the knees and Arise shoots it up the middle for a single. So tried to mix things up on him. I honestly, I don't, it's not a bad location. It's at the knees, bottom of the strike zone on the inside corner of the plate. It's not a bad location at all, especially when you've been outside with hard stuff for most of the at-bat. Uh, but Arise is able to do some damage. So, okay, an 0-2 single, a two-out 0-2 single, fine, whatever. All right, come up against Jorge Polanco. Throws him a knuckle curve on the plate, a nice get-me-over knuckle curve for strike one. Goes uh, with a fastball down and away, but in the strike zone for a called strike two. He's up 0-2 on him now, and then he goes away with a fastball. It's a good location again, and another 0-2 pitch. Another hitter shoots one up the middle. They were definitely trying to be patient. They were definitely trying to use the middle of the field the second time through the lineup. And, and another 0-2. Again, this is not in a bad location. This is not Shane Bieber's fault by any chance. Um, but Polanco and Arise do a good job of hitting. They get the job done. He uh, he just keeps throwing cutters away to Gary Sanchez and walks Sanchez to load the bases. And then Kepler comes up, and this was the pitch. He works a five-pitch at bat. Throws him a knuckle curve for strike one, a called strike. Throws a cutter down at the knees for a called strike two. Throws a knuckle curve away that he lays off for a ball. Throws another one in the dirt that he lays off for a ball and comes back with the hard cutter. Definitely throwing a lot of cutters to these lefty hitters. And we all know this one was off the plate. We all know that he got the benefit of the doubt here. He got the call here. Maybe it's a good job of framing by uh, Austin Hedges. But uh, this umpire was ready to punch out Kepler. And as soon as he got a pitch close to the strike zone, he called him out. So bases loaded for the Twins. Uh, down one nothing in the bottom of the third. And they get out of it. Now, of course, Gio Urshela would go ahead and just tie it up in the fourth inning with a solo home run. Giovanni Urshela, who has figured out the hit once he left the Guardians. Uh, unfortunately, once he left Cleveland and got to New York. I know there was a stop in between. But I think Toronto, right? But once he gets to New York... He has really figured out how to be a major league hitter. Uh, so he homers to center field that ties up the game. Um, but then uh, actually they'd get into a bit of a jam in the bottom of the fourth then. Uh, Nick Gordon would double. Uh, Celestino would single to right field. Uh, but then Royce Lewis would pop out to first base and Arise would ground out to end that threat. I was more interested in the bottom of the fifth inning because this is a basis loaded nobody out situation here. Polanco would walk to kick things off. Usually, you walk somebody to lead off the inning. It adds to a very bad situation. Sanchez would then double. He would shoot one down in the left field corner. Polanco stops at third. He actually has Kepler ahead in the count, uh, but ends up hitting him with a pitch to load the bases with nobody out. And you're thinking, a tie game, bases loaded, nobody out. How the heck are we getting out of this one? Especially with Giovanni Urshela up, who just homered off him. Well, he gets him to chop one back to pitcher's mound. Bieber comes home with it. Hedges makes a nice turn to first base. Double play. Bases loaded, nobody out. I mean, the odds of getting out of that without giving up a run are insane. And they get the double play, the one double play that can prevent a run from coming in to score. And then Miranda would ground out to third. Jose Ramirez would make a fine defensive play of his own, matching Urshela's great play. And he would fire across the diamond, 
Owen Miller doing his best toe drag, keeping his toe on the base as long as he can to get the out there at first base. So some huge, huge defense gets them out of a bases loaded, nobody out situation. And I feel like that's just a Shane Bieber specialty. I feel like even in that Cy Young season, how many times in the fifth or sixth inning did we see him get out of some crazy situation uh, to, you know, to save the game, to keep the Guardians or the Indians at that time in the game? And to get the win. This time he doesn't get the win because we can't really add a run until extra innings. But he definitely keeps us in the game. This could have gone really bad. This could have gone way into the Minnesota Twins' favor. Uh, they could have blown any of these innings open. And Bieber is able to get out of it. So what was the difference for Shane Bieber on this day? Location and velocity. If we go back to the Blue Jays game, which was a week ago, I can't believe... Uh, it's been that long since Bieber's pitched. He couldn't really locate that fastball. Remember, the fastballs were all up. He couldn't hit the strike zone with the slider. He was missing down to the glove side with the slider. Absolutely couldn't locate either of those pitches. Plus, the velocity was down on those pitches against Toronto. He was throwing that four-seam fastball. He was averaging 89.9 with that four-seam fastball. And everything else, even the cutter was down at 85.2. Now you go to last night, that cutter and that fastball are in the strike zone. He is pounding the strike zone with those pitches. He's throwing them in. He's throwing them out. He's hitting the strike zone with that slider, letting the knuckle curve fall out of the strike zone, getting some chase there. If we go to his player break now for Bieber, he gets some uh, good chase on the slider and the curveball um, and the cutter, actually. Um, it's only an 18% whiff rate though. So not his game was not built yesterday on swing and miss. He does get 14 called strikes on that four seam fastball. So definitely locating that four seam fastball, which goes from 89.9 up to 91.2 average exit, average velocity, sorry, not exit velocity, average velocity on that fastball, 91.2, a significant difference from his last start and a significant difference from his yearly average, which was 90.6. So he gets, you know, almost a mile per hour up from his, his average, yearly average, and definitely up over a mile per hour up from his last start. That cutter, which was at 85 something, is now at 86.6. So that velocity is back on the cutter. Everything even, even the slider was a little bit sharper, a little bit faster. So the velocity is back a little bit for Shane Bieber, and he's able to get some good called strikes. He's able to locate that four-seam fastball well. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that being a much more effective pitch for him, being able to locate that for called strikes made a huge difference for Shane Bieber on this one, and it's a much better box score. I mean, he goes six innings. He does give up seven hits, but only one earned run. Three walks, which is tough, plus the hit batter, but seven strikeouts to go with it. Uh, what pitches were those strikeouts coming on? That is always fun to see. And Bieber was able to actually use everything for strikeouts. Uh, he got a bunch of called strikes. He just freezes Max Kepler right down the middle in the first inning uh, for the final out of the first inning. I'm telling you, that's a fastball right down the pipe. Uh, he also gets Miranda frozen on a fastball that, frankly, is a little bit outside to the glove side. Like I said, it was a wide strike zone, and he gets a called strike there. There's the cutter to Kepler that we know was off the plate. Then he's got two sliders that are both swinging strikes, swinging strikeouts to Celestino and Miranda. 
down at the knees. He throws a cutter down at the knees for a Celestino that he strikes out on as well. So a bunch of strikeouts for Celestino there. And then he gets Polanco chasing a knuckle curve to strike out in the first inning as well. So those were the strikeouts. Really mixing it up between the called strikes, strikeouts looking, and those swinging strikes with the stuff down in the zone. So it's a fantastic job of Bieber. It's back to a good start for Shane Bieber. You know, I was thinking about this a lot. And Bieber obviously is has not been the pitcher he was in 2020. And there's been a lot of conversation about are the Guardians... There was an article about the Guardians tried offering him something, offering him more than the uh, Tampa Bay Rays offered Snell a few years ago, and Bieber turning it down. I really think Bieber's looking for that Garrett Cole-type money, that $300 million-type contract. And it's going to be interesting because with the velocity, like, is he still an ace? Like, is Bieber actually still an ace? Can he go out there and win 20 games? Can he be an all-star again? Can he challenge for a Cy Young again? Because if you're paying a guy $300 million, you know, for 10 years or whatever contract he's looking for, that's the type of pitcher you need. You need a guy challenging for the Cy Young every year. And with his dip in velocity, is that something Bieber can do? Will he find the velocity again? Is it an arm issue? Is it a mechanics issue? Is it a leg issue? Getting the drive off the mound. Um... So yeah, and the Guardians, it was just announced that their former first-round pick, Gavin Williams, is moving up to double-A, and our double-A pitching staff right now is insanity, absolute insanity. If you're worried about Plesak and Bieber and Savali and even Quantrill a little bit, I know he's been a little bit up and down this season as well, uh, just know there is a huge crop of talented, incredibly talented starting pitchers down at double A that are going to be in the next two years challenging some of these guys for their spots in the rotation. So it is going to be very interesting, the conversations about Shane Bieber over the next uh, year or two. Yeah, I mean, these conversations are going to start happening fast. In the next year or two, we're going to have to make some serious talks about Shane Bieber, what kind of contract he's looking for, um, and what the Guardians are going to do. I mean, are they going to invest long-term in a starting pitcher, or are they going to continue to use this starting pitching factory that they have? I mean, I'm telling you, the rotation, Xavier uh, Curry, uh, Gavin Williams, Daniel Esposino, the other Logan Allen, Logan T. Allen, not to mention the the other guys out in Lake County Captains, right in single there, there are a ton of starting pitchers coming. So it'll be very interesting to see the conversations we have about Shane Bieber. But for now, it's a good start. It's a good bounce-back start for Bieber after that Toronto Blue Jays game. All right, I think that's that's all my thoughts on this one. I mean, it wasn't a very big offensive day for either team. I guess they did string together seven hits for the Guardians, ten hits for the Twins. Um, the Twins definitely had some chances there. Uh, and just couldn't deliver in some of those innings. Bases loaded, nobody out, and they couldn't get it done. Who, you know, I'm sure the podcasters for the Twins this morning are not too happy about that situation, where we are all smiles over here that Bieber was able to get out of it. So not a huge day. MVP for the day. i got to give it up for Andres Jimenez for his extra inning heroics. He's quiet on the day up until that point. But a big RBI hit and scores the go at what would eventually be the winning run. So he gets the go-ahead RBI. He would eventually be the winning run. Andres Jimenez taking home 
by the way, also had a few fine defensive plays at second base, taking home MVP on the day. Uh, I'm throwing in there, you know, at the last second, I'll throw in there that Trevor Steffen and Nick Sandlin did a great job in the bullpen, shutting things down in those late innings. Um, yeah, they did a really good job getting through the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings uh, and setting things up for Class A to come in in the tenth. So we didn't have to waste Class A in the ninth inning or something like that in a tie game. We were able to hang on to him until we had the lead and deploy him in the tenth inning. So a great job by Stefan and Sandlin setting things up leading to Class A. So another good win for the Guardians. They have once again evened up their record. Them and Chicago both sit two games back in the division of Minnesota, and we got a chance to go out there and win the series, and that's what it's all about. I know it sucked losing that game Friday night. It was a rough game, but we got a chance to go win a series. Uh, And so, yeah, it's going to be McKenzie on the mound against Ryan for Minnesota, a young pitcher coming up from their system. So we'll see what McKenzie can do. If we can jump ahead of 500 finally, get back above 500, and take another game in the division. These games are all big in the division because it is going to be a battle to the end in the American League Central. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Another fun win for the Cleveland Guardians. Again, the final from Minnesota. It's the Guardians 3, the Twins 2. We'll be back tomorrow to talk and see how McKenzie does. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.